Now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, guys? It's Matt Wilson. Just got off the call with Johnny Mueller. He is an interesting character and is going to tell you all about how to move to Latin America, how to do business there, and uh, how to live a gringo lifestyle, as he calls it. I want to warn you, he's not the most politically correct guy in the world. He's an old school gringo living in Latin America for the last 27 years. So forgive him in advance. Uh, but he is an interesting dude. And I think there's a lot of value that you can take away from this episode of the podcast. So sit back, listen in. We don't agree on absolutely everything. I would say my best advice is go to Latin America, check it out, go on vacation, go and stay for one month, go and stay for three months, go and stay for six months. And then eventually you could be like me and realize that you spent most of the last six years down there. But you'll also realize that you don't want to get stuck there. And uh, we talk a lot about the pitfalls of uh, the North Americans living in Central and South America, uh, or in the Caribbean, I guess, in Latin America. Uh, but I want to make sure that people uh, make realize that there are a lot of amazing positives uh, that can come out of living in paradise. And it's an absolutely uh, amazing experience, but we want to try to guide you in the right direction. So without further ado, enjoy. Uh that's that's hilarious. I, I just okay. So I just started recording, but uh, we happen to have both lived in in Manuel Antonio, Costa Rica, and uh, yeah. you saw the same piece of land get sold six times. Yeah, to, that was really the, cool to different people. To different people, you know, it's the uh, the gringo kind of uh, rose colored glasses thing. They uh, Costa Rica is kind of the well. It's the first place I pretty much landed twenty seven years ago. So I mean, I have a very good image of it even back then that was before uh, the world kind of took costa rica as hey the little you know godchild of the gringos <laughs> and, uh, sure. you know that's the place you know the the first safe place they've got no army that was always the big thing you know they've got no army let's go it's safe right okay right. so uh yeah i say like in the first couple of weeks i was down there um i saw gringos who normally at home you know uh, doing business up in the states they were tough businessmen and they made money you know and that's why they're in costa rica because they're doing a vacation right they've seen a lot of places they're down there uh investigating and having a great time and uh all of a sudden you know these really solid businessmen with uh conservative guys and ladies uh, drop all that. It falls to the side, and they and they fall for these schemes of people selling land and options and everything else. You know, even 27 years ago when I first came down there, that was starting to happen. You know, gringos even ripping off gringos. That's that's Absolutely. even, you know, Absolutely. yeah. So I watched one of my friends get ripped up so heartily. Uh, nice guy too, uh, guy from Texas and. Uh, because uh, lawyers down in Costa Rica, I got to tell you, this is a funny story. When I first got my lawyer down there, I decided I got to pick a really honest lawyer. I don't, you know, I don't know. I didn't know Spanish back then, but I got to pick an honest lawyer. So I picked a guy who worked at the university. He was a teacher at uh, one of the, you know, law school, university over there. Yeah, and a poet. Antonio? No, in in, uh, in San Jose. Okay. You know, and because uh, I had a house in San Jose and, you know, the weekend place in Manuel Antonio. And this guy, this lawyer, really nice guy. Uh, father had money and, uh, you know, so he wasn't, you know, like a real go-getter. He wasn't out to rip out gringos. I bought some land through this guy right across the street from the airport. You ever see that um, U storage unit? Is there a U storage unit across the airport still over there? Mm, it's, like, cha uh, it's changed so much. I know of, of a storage unit, but it's a little down the, the road now. Uh, but there's a lot of kind of uh, import-export places right across from the airport. Yeah, well, I was the first guy to bring in those U storage units from the United States into Latin America. I was the very first. And I brought one into Costa Rica, and I built it right across the airport there. And about six months later, my lawyer called me, and he said, you know what? You're getting sued. I said, why? He said, because the guy next to you claims that you're 10 feet on his land. But you're really not, he says. All he wants is $5,000, and he'll go away. I mean, he said that right out loud. He said, you're really not. He says, and I know this is going to get dirty if you want to fight this because gringos, you know, they don't take this lying down usually, you know. 
He says, but I don't do dirty work, but I have another lawyer friend who will do dirty stuff for you. So he does, he's, he's like telling me, you know, you need a good lawyer and you need a dirty one, you know. So that's, that's, that was my introduction to Land America. Yep, I, I, I totally hear you. I will uh, – I'll, I'll, I'll keep my quick story vague for the podcast because it's, uh, it's pretty relevant but uh, – or it's pretty – it's happening now. It's not a story from 20 years ago, but I was involved with a piece of property that uh, the owner was a, another gringo, and uh, he had been in a, a court case with another with a with a Tika with a local girl, and somehow she defrauded him. Slash, they got married, but he still had a another wife somewhere else, and he got in trouble with the. Uh, system of justice down there and uh, his the you know the piece of land was you know who knows who owns it at at, at the time is, is it his local uh, wife is it his other wife is it even him at this point luckily they have a, in Costa Rica they have a really good uh, you know place where you can go and look this up like it's a there's a catalog of every single piece of property unlike registry in, yeah, yeah the registry. the municipal registry yeah sure unlike in in the united states um and everything has a has a number so you can kind of find out pretty quickly but it's not easy you need a good attorney and you need to know what's what's going on there and uh you know you certainly don't want to do owner financing in uh in a situation like that because who the hell knows who you're supposed to pay and uh long story but you see that stuff all the time well you know my really quick one there uh uh what really kind of sent me over the edge i i bought into a project in manuel antonio it was 12 uh, houses, swimming pool, a uh, restaurant and all that stuff. It was going really well. It sold out. All my neighbors were Canadians and stuff. And they're going to make phase two. They do phase two. They sell it all up. It's always to gringos, right? It's really nice. Then one day, about a year and a half later, everyone gets an, uh, a mailing up in the States because, you know, they're only coming down a couple of weeks or a couple months a year. They've built on land that isn't clear. The title's not clear. So, they have to pay the guy who really owns it, some indigenous guy who, you know, doesn't even read or write. He's got a nice lawyer now because he's going after gringos, right? Sure. They each had to fork out 12, 12 people, 12 different houses, had to fork out about $12,500 each, you know, which for you and me, uh, uh, you know, for regular gringos, that's a pretty good hit, but it's not going to, you know, wipe your life out. And they know that. The lawyers down there know they can hit you for a my mouth that it's really not worth it for you to go back and forth flying back and forth to fight these things for twelve thousand bucks right so you know the, the complex hired a lawyer they all paid out they were all pissed off for about six months but they get over it so that's what they do they they don't hit you for a hundred grand they hit you for something that will hurt you a little but won't you know sour you on the whole deal sure sure uh John, I want to introduce you to the the audience, uh, but I have I couldn't resist but to record our our pre conversation because uh, we we just started uh, exchanging expat stories right off the bat. But uh, basically, this is this is what you do for a, a living now is help uh, help people not get into these situations, uh, if you will, and uh, you have. Um, a show that's been running for a very long time called the Expat Files. People can check you out on uh, on YouTube and uh, across the web, theexpatfiles.com. And uh, you've been in in Latin America for 27 years, uh, according to your your bio here. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy to introduce you to to everyone. Uh, did how how do I do there? Can you can you fact really good, really a, good a little bit? Uh, that's good. Tell everybody at least uh, that's <laughs> listening in what you actually do for a living now. Well. I'll tell you what, when I was quite young, I'm an engineer, biomedical and electrical, and I had some good luck with engineering projects and stuff when I was young. I was able to retire in my early, early 30s, basically. And I said, I'm going to give myself a present. You know, I'm going to go around the world for a year. So I went around the world for a year, and that was 27 years ago. It's <laughs> still going, right? I know. You know, in 27 years, I've been back to the States two weeks. Wow. And that was before 9-11. So I never had – I never was um, – Given the you know the midnight uh, the latex glove treatment, yet I understand. 
<laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, uh, I ended up uh, loving Latin America of all the places I went in that first year. And, and stupidly enough, I didn't speak any Spanish. I took uh, French in high school. That doesn't help much, right? <laughs> that's where the girls were, right? In the French class. Right. And being from Chicago, all the gangbangers were in the Spanish class because that was an easy A, right? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so so then I, I went around the world I stay, and I ended up in Latin America living in about over 12 Latin countries I built 13 houses and various projects I've been ripped off and I mean everything that can happen to a gringo has happened to me it happened to me in my first five years so I was able to you know accumulate a lot of wealth of knowledge because I'm not running back and forth and you know I, this isn't like a part time thing for me I'm not on vacation I mean I'm living down here and I live off the Gringo Tourist Trail, man. I found that a long time ago in the first couple of years. I lived down in Costa Rica. And I realized, you know, as the Gringos move in, the place gets a little contaminated. And it's not to say the Latinos don't like Gringos. I mean, it's one of the last places in the world where we're really welcomed with open arms. They love, they love Gringos. I mean, otherwise, would they all be trying to get into the States? I mean, really, if they didn't like us, why would they be on their way over there? Anyway, um, so I ended up in Costa Rica, and I saw, you know, with my own eyes, 27 years ago, how the gringos were driving up prices unknowingly, uh, putting their own values and systems into place, and kind of, you know, I keep thinking, what would happen if, uh, in your town, if you lived in Cleveland, let's say, and all of a sudden, let's pick a let's pick a culture, the uh, you know, South Koreans, they all, you know, boatloads of them came over and started creating a little South Korea in Cleveland, you know? I mean, I keep thinking, yeah. that's what happened to Costa Rica. And I'm not, you know, cutting Costa Rica. I'm just saying this happens in, it happens in all the, you know, kind of resort areas, Cancun, um, you know, Mexico City, um, Panama City. Now Colombia. Colombia's getting hit heavy. The gringos are pil piling into Medellin and Bogota and everything. And, in fact, if, you know, if you're in Medellin, Colombia, you know, you can go into sections of, of that city and not see any Spanish signs. The signs are all becoming gringo. They're English. Street signs, the you know, the billboards are in English. So I mean, that's that really tells it all, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that and that's actually so. Uh, for for anybody listening in, uh, John and I don't don't know each other, uh, but I reached out to him as he's uh, huge huge in the podcasting world, especially among travelers and expats and uh, so I wanted to of course bring you bring you on John to uh, to just help people get a better idea of what living in, in Latin America is like but I wanted to make the the point well first of all tell you that uh, I own a tour operator uh, called under 30 experiences it's uh, services people ages 21 to 35 we go all around the world uh, not just in Latin America but um, also to Thailand and Iceland and France Spain Ireland uh, yeah all, all over the place but in, in Latin America we we go to Brazil Colombia a couple different trips down to uh, Peru and and Machu Picchu Costa Rica uh, let's see Mexico Belize so yeah, so I've been been around Latin America for for about the last six years, and we used to even have a trip to Nicaragua, which I, I believe you've spent some time because uh, I saw your Skype bio said that you that you were in Nicaragua. I, most people don't keep that updated, but I wanted to say that you just see, especially people on vacation, driving up the prices because it's like fun. You know, they're they're throwing around funny money. And they're only there for a week and, you know, to, like get leaving huge tips, which is not a it, that's not even something that uh, in, in Latino culture that, that doesn't even exist uh, in, in most countries. Then you see people just either sitting there with their their hands out and looking for the quick money uh, or, you know, whether it's it's. Uh, drugs or, or prostitution or it's yeah everybody wants to work in tourism but nobody wants to go to school and so then you just get a bunch of street kids working in in tourism and hustling on the beach all over the place and I could go on and on but uh, I absolutely see w what you're talking about firsthand you know um, I, I'm not saying that you you want to change that because you know when gringos come down what they're looking for to live I mean vacation is another thing uh, I always recommend 
I don't care where it is in Latin America. Uh, there's always a good vacation place in any country, even Nicaragua now. You know, there are, In fact, it's probably one of the cheapest places to go on a nice vacation because it's you know blacklist right now, correct? Sure. But uh, you know, and the tour operators are all dying, dying on the vine over there. But you know, it's a different thing if you're living down here, and that's what I base my career on basically now because I give seminars a couple times a year. I bring uh, you know for a week long. I bring 25 gringos around. 25 anyway. Actually, people from all over the world. I have Europe and Japan and China come to my seminars, and I give them like the fire hose treatment. I take them around for for a week, and I give them everything. Man, you should see the itinerary. And by the time they're totally exhausted, you know, half of it's uh, lecture and half of it's boots on the ground. In the morning lecture, in the afternoon boots on the ground, and I teach them how to live in Latin America. I give them a kind of what I always call like a five-year head start. I'll, I'll get them to where I was after five years living down here, like what not to do, basically. I don't tell them what to do. I would say what not to do. You know, that works. <laughs> so uh, and talking about uh, how the gringos have I mean, I'll give you a, good, a perfect example in Costa Rica. You know, I've been back there since then, of course. But uh, uh, I'll never forget this. I pulled into a gas station and, you know, these days uh, – they have full service gas stations all over Latin America. I don't even, somebody told me they don't even have that in the States anymore. You got to pump all your own gas and everything. Right? I have seen many times where a uh, uh, gas station will content and will go up to a gringo who's got to rent a car or whatever, and they'll tip them. The gringo will tip the gas station guy for wiping his windshield, you know, and putting the gas in. That would just blow my mind because, you know, you're creating a kind of a, situation there right now they're gonna now they're gonna run up to a gringo's car every time they see it because they're gonna think hey that guy gave me a tip i, I mean the locals will never do that uh, so you know sure. that's what i mean they're setting up a kind of situation there and the word gets out and they say hey you know what gringos are giving tips for this or for that or you know and then that's what slowly why well, i don't say contaminates the culture but it really drives up the cost of living i'll tell you that no, I, 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 I could not agree. Uh, I could not agree more. And um, I just I couldn't help but think uh, all the trouble you can get yourself into at a gas station uh, in Latin America. <laughs> Everything from, first of all, uh, I haven't really seen this in, in Costa Rica too many times, but my girlfriend always, she's from Chile. And she always makes sure, you know, make sure they set the meter back, make sure they, uh, oh, yeah, they set the meter back because, you know, they'll start it on, uh, on 15 bucks and, and just pad that into the, the price if you're not paying attention. And, um, you know, in, in Costa Rica, it's, it's in, in the tourist towns, it's pretty normal. Oh, no, in Costa Rica, you go up to the, the caja, the, uh, little place where you pay the cashier. And you give them your yep. your card, um, but you know, not letting anybody run away with your card like you do in the states is uh, is really important, and and that doesn't even start to go into God. If you owned a car and you drop it off at the mechanic, there's a good chance they're pulling the good parts off of the bottom of your car and swapping them out for crappy parts and and selling your selling your car right literally out from underneath you. Yeah, well, you know, uh, in my show, I always say I'm talking about the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great. And there's all of that in Latin America, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great. And what my job is is to show you all the good places and the bad and the ugly, and then you make your decision because, you know, it's a matter of your budget too. Because I'll tell you, if you're just loaded with money, you can live anywhere in the world. You could even end up living in Las Vegas if you want. Or, you know. But uh, people come to Latin America not just because it's cheap, and it really is if you're off the tourist trail, you know, if you're off the trail. But I'll tell you, Costa Rica is not cheap anymore. You, you can attest to that. It's not. It's gringo expensive in most places, really. Sure. But, uh, um, you know, so I'm not, not New York expensive, but, you know, gringo expensive. And I uh, I would say about half the people that come to my seminars are um, on social – they're coming up on social security or they're looking at it at 10 years down the line or whatever. And they're thinking, you know, I'll be able to afford cat food in New York on that, right? You better start picking up the cat food helper. But uh, down here in Latin America, I teach them how they could live like a first world life, no transition, nothing on 1500 bucks a month. It's easy to do as long as you're not smack dab on the tourist trail. And I'm not saying you got to isolate yourself. For example, I, let me pick Guatemala because I live there for, you know, I've had a house over there for 10 years. But, uh, of course, I have houses. Out, I mean, I live in other places too. But I know the place really well. 
and there's a place called Antigua, Guatemala. It's on the UNESCO World Heritage Site. So it gets a lot of like uh, tree-hugging kind of um, eco-tourists, I call them. They're, they're the right tourists. They're the kind of tourists you want to have. You know, not the let's go get drunk and party in the streets kind of tourists, you know. Uh, they're, you know, careful tourists. They have, you know, they're, they're, uh, they want to climb the volcanoes and they want to, you know, go into the jungle and all that. And, uh, and I'll tell you, if you go to that city and you try to rent a place within six blocks of the Central Park, it's a small town of like 15,000 people or something, you know, it's small. If you're within six blocks of the Central Park, you're going to be paying gringo prices all the way, all right? And this is Guatemala, you know? But yeah, that makes sense. You get two miles off of there. I mean, but two miles is like a you know half-hour walk if you're walking kind of normal, right? You get two miles or it would be like two and a half kilometers off the Central Park. All of a sudden, for the same place you're paying like $1,800 a month, you're paying, you know, 400 500 bucks a month. It's just amazing. It's like... You know, that's why you can't just say, well, that's touristy over there. I don't want to live there. So what? that's why I guide certain people who have to have the gringo fix. You know, some people, when they come to Latin America to live, uh, they can't do what I did. I mean, I came down. I was isolated. I didn't speak any Spanish, but I that forced me to learn it, right? Really, within a you know, certain period of time, I was forced to learn it. Well, you know, it's a hard transition when you don't know how to communicate. But a lot of people will come down and say, you know, I don't want to go on an immersion course. And I don't want to go you – know, live in someone's house for two months and shared a bathroom with 17 kids. Cause that's an immersion course, right? Or, or a house immersion for Spanish. And they say, okay. You know, so, and they want to have some gringo contact. So you live three miles outside of a kind of a tourist area like that, or even a low level tourist area. And you can pop in and out as you wish, and you can have your gringo fix. So uh, now, then after a while, you'll be like me and you'll say, oh, you know, I've had enough of these gringos. <laughs> and I you go completely you off, the, off, off. Yeah. I mean, I go for four or five days at a time and I'm, hey, I'm in a really, you know, it's populated and uh, I'm on the, you know, five minutes from the Pan American Highway. I can go four days and never see a gringo. Four days, five days, 10 days, you know, except maybe a do-gooder once in a while, a Mormon, a couple of Mormons walking around. They're everywhere, you know. Sure, sure. And yeah, I feel the same yeah. way. Uh, that's not why I moved to Latin America was not to be around people who are, are like me. It's to have a new experience and uh, and learn something new. So when I pop into the uh, yeah, the local the local gringo bar, because I still like to watch football on Sundays. Sometimes I'm like, man, three quarters of these people don't even speak Spanish. It's it's really kind of it's really kind of sad. Uh, but John, I wanted to um, to ask you. So, all right. So I think everybody's ears perked up when they heard that you teach people how to live off of fifteen hundred dollars a month. Now, my audience is not the baby boomers uh, who are starting to get their social security check. My my audience is more the people who can figure out a way to make fifteen hundred bucks online and work from their laptop so a lot of times you do have to go and find the the gringo cafe to make sure you get a good wi-fi connection but i guess that's be, besides the point um tell yeah tell tell me about what you're seeing uh for millennials in latin america as okay uh, you're gonna be shocked but i have people have young as i mean people come with their parents i've had people singles coming down as young as 18 years old to my seminars and they want to do just that they want they want to you know they're like kind of uh, nomad uh, entrepreneurs right they can do anything anywhere off the internet the amazing thing this is gonna blow your mind man i just couldn't believe myself about my about six years ago i've been doing my seminars eight years now about six years ago a guy drove down from canada he drove with a with, a, with his um uh, you know, Winnebago, all right? He went all the way from Canada, got, you know, pulled over six times in Mexico, paid bribes all the way down, came down with his new Russian wife, and he said, Johnny, he says, I got this Winnebago, and I want to live in Guatemala. He's a libertarian guy, you know? He says, I want to live in I, uh, Canada. is not my place. It's to, you know, tax his way of killing me, and, you know, I just don't want to do that anymore. So, I let him stay in front of my house because uh, I live out in the coffee fields. I'm in the LT Plano, 5,000 feet, perfect weather. I mean, it's the paradise in region of, of weather, right? And I got coffee fields all around me. And uh, uh, I let him stay there. You know, when you invite a person to stay for a month, that always turns into six months, right? Isn't that how life is? Especially so every night, I, yeah, every night I'd see the light on at 2 in the morning. 2 in the morning in his Winnebago. One day I said, Dan, I said, uh, 
what you doing? And he's a real gamer. He's a real software guy, right? He says, I'm buying this stuff, uh, but I only can buy it in China when China, when the market's open. I'm buying this stuff called Bitcoin, he says. You know, you know how many billionaires he made out of my seminar people? Because I, he, gives us, he gives an hour-long presentation on cryptocurrency. He's the first guy in the world to give a university cryptocurrency course. Wow. He is the crypto king, man. Then I have all these crypto miners started coming down to my seminar. So I got this huge contingent, and I give a whole morning session on cryptocurrencies with the, with the real – talking about the – these are the gurus, man. These are the gurus, right? So – and then they give their PowerPoint presentations to my members, my my uh, my seminar people. So I got this group of people that are so in tune, and they're sitting here in Latin America. I mean, can you imagine that? And they've got a, I've got such a network of crypto people down here, you wouldn't believe it. It's <laughs> interesting. And not only that, get this. Better yet, a guy came down to my seminar. He is. Uh, the single biggest selling person with Google Ads in the world. He sold over a hundred million dollars in Google, in a product from Google Ads. A single person. He came down here. And he said, Johnny, I want to live down here. I, he went to my seminar, right? He took it twice. A lot of people come twice. How do you like that? They're like repeat offenders, I call them. He, he gives the seminar. He gives a, a chunk of his life. He tells people how to make money anywhere in the world. He's got a presentation he calls how to make money anywhere. And, and, and he's, the, you know, he's the guru of Google Ads. He came down. I had the third number three guy at Google come to my seminar. Hey, my seminars are small. Like I said, they're 25 people, but I got these hefty high. I've got the backpacker crowd, a couple of them. I've got a couple of, you know, like uh, people in retiring age and they want cheap health care and all that. Then I got these really high powered people that just want to escape and don't want to do it in a high tax country anymore. You know, so uh, talk about um, my seminars. Everybody who walks out of there gets an education on how to make money. I mean, we do a whole segment on how to make money down here uh, without even have not a brick and mortar deal, you know, on on the internet, basically. So to answer your question, um, we cover everything, <laughs> and everybody's happy, and everybody after a while ends up making money down here. If you want to do that, if that's your goal, you will, because you will. See, because of not only your gringo advantage, but you know, your eyes are open to things and you see things that don't exist that you want. And you say, Hey, they need this or they need that. I think I'll do that, you know, right? Right? No, it no, makes sense. Um, John, okay, so John, I, I gotta ask you. So, you said, Oh, yeah, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people, especially if they're living in the states and and they have money coming in, you can leave, you can live anywhere, even Vegas. And I couldn't help but think about LeBron James saying it was his biggest mistake. His biggest uh, investment mistake was buying a house in Vegas. And, and I saw the interview when he talked about it and he said, man, he said, who buys a house in Vegas? And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's kind of true, especially because he was a, he was a young guy. So I'm curious as to how much you push people buying uh, places because I will uh, I will say so. The audience knows a lot of people who want to show you around Latin America, you know, they, they will be getting receiving commissions from real estate. And so it's just important for, to uh, to be aware of that, because in, in Latin America, you don't in at least in Costa Rica. And I assume in most places probably don't need a, a big fancy realty license like you do in the states uh, so tell me a little bit about uh, your thoughts on home ownership especially in Latin America well I've been saying for the last couple of years don't buy anything I mean as a matter of fact that's the first thing I say when I start out when I do my first night when I do a little meet and greet at my seminar I say okay one thing you're gonna know about me is I don't sell anything I'm just a seminar right you come to this I don't sell anything nothing in fact, one guy who is a you know a, a flip em kind of real estate guy made millions in the states came down to one of my seminars and you know what he told me at the end of the seminar he came up to me and said you know what I kept waiting I kept waiting I kept waiting for you to throw that extra sell at me that buy up you know what do they call it the the real estate guys the after the you know the the buy up I don't know what they call it anyway he says I kept on waiting and it never came it never came <laughs> he says he went to international living seminars you heard everybody heard of sure. international living right everybody's trying to sell you something there right he went to these expat uh there's another big one uh oh no it's expat life or something I, don't, I forgot um 
the anyway, there's a lot of them. These they have these seminars and they get all these people in a room, and and they're selling you their pet projects. You know, they'll take you to Nicaragua even. You know, I well, I don't think they'll do that anymore, but they were doing that, doing seminars over there. And there's always a, an upsell. That's what they call it, an upsell, an upsell, an upsell. And I've been telling people, I do a morning, uh, a whole morning on real estate. I mean, I I show people, uh, you know, how to buy properties cheap. I tell them how to find distressed buyers. That's what I say. Look, if you're going to buy something down here, I say, wait, but there are always some desperate sellers out there, desperate sellers. And if you want to know how to find them, I'll show you how to find them. Because, you know, Latin America is at a big bubble now. Almost all the big cities and medium-sized cities especially have overbuilt. They're building in the like 5% of the high-end market. They're all, they're all building in the high-end, you know, residential towers and gated, guarded communities. And and, uh, you know, 95% of the people cannot afford that. They can't afford, you know, even to get a, they can't even get a loan. They, I mean, they can't do it. So the developers are, are building at the high end and no one's building at the medium or low end. And uh, it's a big mistake because they don't do any market research. You know, down in Latin America, they, they have the idea you build and they will come, you know. Now, that's only if the tourism keeps flowing and flowing, right? But we all know it's a kind of precarious uh Things happening up in the states with the financial system, and I mean, you know, how long can it keep on going with this huge debt, trillions in debt, and all these baby boomers, or not just baby boomers, everybody old, huge school debt and all that. So, you know, how big is the tourism business going to get? You know, when you've got other bills to pay. So, um, I was in Colombia really recently, and I talked to a guy building a residential tower. I said. Uh, how many more of these residential towers are going up right now here? And uh, this is in around Medellin. He said, um, well, it's about eight of them that will be finished uh, at the end of the year here, you know, and about 14 slated to start up uh, to construct. They aren't even broken ground yet. You know, I mean, yeah, so where's it end? Where's it end? Where's it end? You know, so they're all thinking the gringos are coming or the Europeans are coming. They say, oh, you know, well, this is the, for the, uh, the the European retirement crowd. They're all going to come over here and buy. You know, they're projecting the future like the U.S. projected into the future. We all thought the real estate bubble, the real estate will never go down. You know, you heard that. We all heard that till 2008, didn't we? Then when 2008 came, boy, do we see real estate go down. But everybody has that thought that when they buy it's always going to appreciate. It's always going to appreciate. But and the Latins haven't figured that out yet because they haven't had a blowout yet. They haven't had their 2008 blowout real estate yet. They haven't had that. They're going to have it. And that's why I tell people, look, here's what you do. You wait a while. You rent. You rent. Rent for six months. Rent for a year. That way you get the lay of the land and everything. And in a while, people are going to come up to you. and You're going to find distressed sellers. You're going to be able to buy a place for half. 50% off of what the they're listing it at, you know, if that's what you want to do. If you wait even longer, when the bubble really pops, man, you'll be able to buy the stuff at 30 cents on the dollar. So I don't sell anything, but I take people everywhere. I do that in my real estate. I have a, uh, a whole segment called Real Estate in Latin America. And we go on boots on the ground, too. I take them to the medium and then the gated guarded communities, the residential towers. And I take them out in the county for a, uh, in a countryside where we have an actually off-the-grid houses. I take them where you can have your own you know, solar panels. And, all, and, and I even show them a bunch of container houses because that's big down here, too, You know, because uh, the weather's perfect for that, right? As long as you're not in the sun. <laughs> right. But uh, believe me. Uh, the real estate part of my seminar is really popular. And I also teach people how to find a contractor because, you know, it's still a really good deal if you build your own house down here because, the, you know, like, you know labor is so cheap. You can build a house for $35 a square foot. I mean, a really nice first world house. Why? Why? Because there's no basements. You know, they don't have double wall insulation. You don't have heating ducts all over the place. Of course, if you're living on the beach, you're, you're going to need air conditioning. But, you know, people don't have – you notice you don't have ducts in your house. They don't have, uh, you know, regular heating and cooling ducts in the walls like you do in the States, right? Yeah. You know how expensive that is to do that? I mean, that's been perfected up in the States. But in Latin America, they just put up block walls or whatever, and that's it. You know, these are basically uh, kind of uh, glorified garages, they look nice houses, you know, I'm talking about, you know, building a nice house. If you look at it, it's really, all it is is cement and glass and rebar, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, that, no, that's exactly what, what my place looks like. And God, I can only imagine what you go, what you tell people uh, in those contractor sessions, because that's a, that's an easy way to get oh, yeah. in, in Latin America. But I don't want to focus too much on, 
on the negative and scare everybody off. Uh, but you brought up a, a good point, John, about uh, – it being difficult to find kind of your middle-class place to live. And I'll use Costa Rica for an example. Uh, in in Capos, right, it's uh, it's really easy to find a, a place between $300 a month and $500 a month to rent. I mean, it's really pretty easy. That, But that's going to be your basic place that just about anybody in Costa Rica can, uh, can rent, right? That's where the masses can rent and I lived in a place like that for four years uh, it was 450 a month it had two bedrooms with air conditioning it had nice uh, it had nice countertops it had semi hot water and it was secure I had a place to put my truck uh, it was great you know 450 a month you you really couldn't beat it um, and that will might even be high for a lot of places in Latin America but uh, that's you know that's the way the the market is if you want to live real close to the beach uh, and have a, a nice jungle view at least in in Manuel Antonio but then if you're looking for a, a place where all right you're making a little money and I don't want to stay in this this little place I'd like a little something nicer that's when for me personally I've not found uh, that a lot of places offer something in the middle like in in Manuel Antonio it's hard to find uh, a 500 to a thousand dollar a month type of place where all right now you're paying real money for a for a nice place to live but you want it to be a step up over the local places and so what I had to get into was more expensive than that because everything else were vacation rental villas and you know now my place is four bedrooms and a pool and a gate and a, in a gated community and all this and it works out nicely because it's it's two bedrooms two bedrooms downstairs two bedrooms upstairs separate entrances perfect for airbnb so yeah I'm, I, I make it work and i don't feel like i'm just throwing away money but do you have any suggestions for people who are trying to find Places on the nicer end, but they're not trying to live in a vacation rental villa that, by the way, everybody rents uh, weekly. And it's really, really difficult to find something that you can rent monthly. Yeah, you know, um, I don't know what you guys use for your kind of, uh, what do you call it, Craigslist kind of thing you've got over there. What are you using? But uh, I don't really know what you're using in Costa Rica now, but I can tell you. One of the main things that people use throughout Latin America is a thing called OLX.com. You might have heard of it, right? Hmm. Do you have it over there? OLX.com? I've heard of it. I was looking for a place in Cusco for a while. I think I found uh, something on OLX. But no, uh, Craigslist and Encuentro 24 are the two places uh, that we use. But it's mainly more of a boot. It's rural Costa Rica, as, as you know. So it's more still boots on the ground type of place. And you might find some gringos putting their stuff up on Craigslist. But your you're kind of middle class Costa Rican isn't going to be real great at marketing uh, their, their place. Right. Well, I, here's what I found. I found that um, uh, throughout Latin America now, this OLX thing is catching on in every country. It's... It's a place where you can put some, post some photos and you can uh, put anything on there. You can put a car or a piece of exercise equipment and all that. All right, so that you know that person's computer savvy, that it's a person who's got a little education that's set, putting it up there. So you're going to get a little higher class of uh, person. However, it's always in Spanish. So you got to know your Spanish. You just can't, you know, and that, that, that kind of separates the men from the boys in Latin America. You know that. Sure. Because if, if you're coming down and you just know English, you're going to have to kind of corral someone to go with you. I mean, even just to go pay your phone bill, whatever. You have to have someone help you. Well, in Costa Rica, of course, there are people who speak English because there's so much tourism going on and all that. But Costa Rica is a special case. Costa Rica is individual, man. That's a that's almost like, a, I don't know, an island of English speakers, really. almost. I mean, you can just, any room you walk in, someone's going to speak English, right? I mean, that's how it is. But in the rest of Latin America, we talk about Panama, you can talk about Honduras or Bolivia, um, if you don't know Spanish, man, you are pretty much lost if you're on your own. If, you, if you're just all by yourself looking to find a place, even look up a, for a utility hookup. I mean, try to do a utility hookup, like get an internet contract or something. If, I mean, it's all in Spanish. So uh, if you go on OLX, you'll find it's all in Spanish. But that's 
you know, separates the men from the boys because you won't find gringo prices on there. If it's always in Spanish, there's no gringo prices because they know what gringos don't speak Spanish, basically, you know? It's just, uh, uh, you know, that there's a cultural divide there. When there's a place, as soon as a Latin person, a businessman, or someone trying to sell something, a salesperson, sees that you speak English, and automatically, almost automatically, the price is higher. It almost always is. It's the gringo pricing thing. They figure... You know, it's cheaper. You'll think it's cheap compared to your country. It's not cheap compared to my people in my country, but you'll think, hey, that's a good deal. So, for example, if, you, if you're if you a gringo, I'll give you an example. You can go into uh, Panama City and there's a nice apartment for $800 a month, all right? It's a nice apartment. And you walk in there and you – because you found this place. Uh, you went to a realtor. And the realtors always have someone who speaks English, right? They always do in their office. That guy will take you around. And it'll be $800 a month. And you'll probably think, oh, hell, in Chicago or Cleveland or whatever, it's going to be 1600 for something like that. You'll take it. Sure. You'll say, hey, that's cool, man. I'll... But I won't. I'll say I'll give you a 500 and I'll pay for the year. And they'll take it. And then and Because this is the way gringos operate. We don't dicker. We don't bargain. You know? and, and that's the, the society. Latin society is all into bargaining, man. <laughs> They're all into that. They're yeah. expecting a comeback, you know? And especially if it's yeah. a short-term place, which is kind of the issue with Airbnb driving the prices up in all of the all of the cities across the world. I forget just Latin America, but in in New York or San Francisco or in L.A., people don't want to rent their place uh, to the everyday working person because they can, if it's in the city center, they can rent it out on Airbnb and and make way more money, and then the prices of the rest of the places go up they're st- taking up all the good inventory and then they got to build more and and all the rest so I, I i totally hear you on that and and john i wanted to to uh, ask you what places are you seeing trending right now where are you recommended uh, re- where are you recommending uh people go and and check out if they want to go maybe work from their laptop spend more time in latin america and and you mentioned uh antigua guatemala uh where else well um i can tell you that i'm not a big fan of the cities of of the big cities or the even the medium you know half a million and up uh one of the reasons is because, you know, the infrastructure is still not so great in the big Latin cities. It's still not so great. And, uh, for example, I'm in the Dominican Republic right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. Power goes out probably three times a day. But they, they know that. And so they were accommodated for that. I'm in a nice residential tower, and the generator kicks in. But the other people, you know, the people don't have generators. The rest of the, you know, middle-class uh, Latin-style population, they just – they don't even suffer. They're so used to it. They're just used to it, you know. But I'm um, – I'm saying it just uh, it, it depends what you want. If you want to be like I said before, if you want to have uh, gringo contact, you have to have your own little set of wish. You have to have your own little wish list. And if your wish list is that you want to have bars to go to where they speak English or discos, or you want to have beautiful young girls, you know, in the area, or if you want to have a beach life and you're a surfer. I mean, it's, it, you have to have your guidelines first. And I guess, and I, you know, by the way, I do not to pump myself up here, but I do phone consults. I've done hundreds of phone consults and people will call me and, and I, and I'll send them a, a list. I have an actual document. I send them and they fill it in, send it back. It's two pages long. It's what their wish list is. So I can check it out before I talk to them and I can say, okay, no, I, this is what I think is good for you. You know, or these five areas might be fine for you and don't go to this place. Like, you know, I can't tell you, you know, I'm not going off the trail here, but I can't tell you how many gringos, I say gringos, you know, that's a pejorative term in Mexico, but nowhere else, right? Gringos is okay. But uh, I can't tell you how many gringos will say to me in emails, I get hundreds of emails, right? They'll say, Johnny, my dream, my dream of retirement or my dream for the good life is to have a beach house with a pool, sit by under the veranda with my pina colada and my Mai Tai and, you know, just look at the waves and type on my computer or write the great un-American novel or whatever, right? Well, I'll tell you, I hear that from 90% of people. And you know what I say to them? You don't want that. You don't want that. I did it. I know gringos have done it. If you aren't 
a person who's busy all the time and you haven't got a hundred different hobbies, you're going to turn into a, a lush, a drunk. Because I've seen that happen so many times. You know, a, a guy will buy a beach house or rent it for a year or something. And at the end of the year, he's putting down a case of beer a day if he doesn't have a lot of hobbies. Sure. Latin America to me, Latin America to me is uh, a place that, you know, like you say, if you have a business, if you're doing the internet thing, perfect. I mean, hey, what's not to like about having an internet business? First of all, you don't pay any taxes you know, either, if you work it out right, right? But, uh, um, you know, you come down here, you better have uh, a lot of things on your checklist, on your bucket list, because otherwise people are going to be doing things for you. I mean, most people that come down here, if, if they're, you know, an established adult, let's say, and you get a house, all right, you pay $300 a month and you got yourself a full-time maid for 300 bucks a month, you know, all of a sudden you haven't got any housework to do because this lady's cleaning up and cooking for you and everything and ironing. Well, what are you going to do with all that extra time? Or what's your girlfriend or wife going to do with all that extra time? You better, you better have something to do, you know? No, it makes a lot of sense. Okay. So what do you say to the people who want to go down and start their own business and it could be working in tourism it could be another opportunity that people see because entrepreneurial minded people as you said before their eyes light up when they get to latin america because there is opportunity you know there just aren't the things that we have uh, up in the states so what do you tell those people I tell them, for one thing, one of the biggest mistakes you could do is become a partner with a Latin person, a business partner, a socio, you know, uh, because um, – and I've done that many times. I've never had luck with that. And everybody I talk to says, you know, you're better off doing it on your own or not being partners. You could have Latin people working for you, but just don't let them be your partner. You know, put on a salary or something. Not that they're going to rip you off or scam you or anything, though that might happen. Gringles will do that to you too. But those things just never seem to work out because if you're an aggressive kind of business-minded gringo, you're going to be doing all the work then. Because it's a Latin mindset. I'll tell you what, it's manana time. So there's nothing wrong with that. That's the way the culture is. And one of the reasons it's like it is, and we like it like that, because you can relax. Your blood pressure is going to go down. After a year, you know, you're going to be in a different state of mind because of that manana thing. But it doesn't work well for business. I mean, you know, uh, I can't tell you how many times when I first came down, I wanted to just punch somebody in the face. It sounds cruel because, you know, you're waiting for that 9 o'clock appointment, even at a lawyer's office, and he doesn't show up till 11. Or... You're there at 10 and you get the phone call. I couldn't make it today. Let's do it tomorrow. And you're sitting in this waiting room. You know, It's just a different mindset. Doing business, I say you really have to um, be the owner. you got to be the owner of your business. And I'll tell you another thing. If you're going to have a brick-and-mortar business, the government will leave you alone. Now, I'm not saying they're going to do that in Costa Rica because you know gringos are a good uh, source of revenue to tap for that government. And they know it, but because uh, the gringo, you know, they know the gringos have money and they're going to pay. And uh, taxes are higher in countries where the gringos are, right? And uh, but I would say if you if you live in uh, you know not in a tourist area, but again, you might go to a tourist area because you've got a niche. You found a niche. Once you've started your business, everybody says. All the gringos say to me, Johnny, it's so tough to start a business. Get all that paperwork done. Aha, it's true because you don't speak Spanish, okay? If you spoke Spanish, you'd be able to bust through that in a month, you know, open a bar or a restaurant, whatever, you know, uh, bed, uh, uh, you know, mom and pop this or that. Once you've got the paperwork, and admittedly, there's three times as much paperwork in Latin America, you know, because everybody's got a brother-in-law who's working for the government. They got to stamp everything six times. You know, the whole the, the word. You got to go in 16 lines to get something your signatures. Oh, but yeah. once you've got once you've got the patente, they call that, or the the, the you know the san, san, the license licencio sanitario or whatever. Once you've got the, I've, I've been through this many times, and they and you put it up on your wall and you open for business. They'll never bother you again it's not like in the states they come down every month to inspect this and that and you're checking to see if your refrigerator's got you know a uh, uh, spider webs behind it you know if you're doing food service they get check if you got stainless this and you've got the right drain size i'm telling you latin america is a perfect place to do business once you've got the initial paperwork and all you have to do is hire a decent kind of average lawyer that an honest guy which is i go through that in my my of course, too, I introduce everybody to an honest lawyer. I say, at my, my seminar, I say, hey, here's something rare, an honest lawyer. <laughs> you know? Hey, nice to meet you. Right. Anyway, I have a lawyer give, uh, believe it or not, I, and he talk, speaking of lawyers, it's more so important 
not to skip around lawyers and go to a gringo bar and say, hey, I need to, you know, I'm going to uh, rent a, uh, do a rental contract. You, has anybody here got a lawyer? Because everybody's going to raise their hand. Yeah, I got a lawyer. Every gringo in a gringo bar has a lawyer, right? Sure. Not a good idea. It's, not, it's like throwing, you might as well just throw a dart at the, you know, at the, at the uh, bulletin board, right? But that's why when I have my seminar, you know, again, my lawyer, my, 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 my lawyer that I have at my seminar, I've known the guy for 18 years. 18, I was his first gringo client. So I trained him, man. I trained him up real good. You know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, but he's still on manana time because you can't you know, beat that out of him. But that's the way they are. He talks about residency. He talks about how to start an SA corporation. He talks about how to open bank accounts. He talks about the taxes and all the legal issues and all the contracts and shipping and moving things and leases and property titles. And I mean, everything, we, we go over everything that you're going to need when you walk into a lawyer's office, if you're going to live in Latin America. I mean, if you're just going to, you know, come on vacation, you don't need any of that, right? But if you're going to live, if you're going to buy a car, you know, if you're going to buy a car, you're going to get a, you need to get a license because yours is going to expire eventually your gringo license. You're going to have to get a local license, right? So how do you do that when it's all in Spanish? If you find a right lawyer, a decent lawyer, He'll do all that stuff if you're going to start a business. You say, okay, I'm going to start a surf shop. Well, where do you start? Well, I got a place. I know I got a great location. I got a guy that, that wants to rent me the space. All right. That's when you put it in the hands of your lawyer because he'll get all that paperwork done I was talking about. Because you know, a lot of gringos come down. They say, oh, you know, I got more time than money, and I'll trudge through this. And I'll, it'll be a good lesson for me. I'll learn some Spanish along the way. Aha. Uh -huh. That's the you're, – you're inviting danger right there when you do that. <laughs> Okay, so talk, talk to me uh, before we wrap up about learning Spanish, if you have any tips, because, uh, I mean, I really tried to fast track myself, and I had the basics at least from middle school, and I was pretty good at it then, and, and I was able to pick it up with full immersion, uh, but what's your what's your best advice, because that's one hey, thing listen. that you have stressed. You want me to do something for you? Want me to give a big favor to your audience? Sure. A real big favor? One of the guys that came, I get some really cool people coming to my seminars. I had the second biggest producer in Hollywood come down. He came down and he said to me, he said, I said, he says, I got all the money in the world. Why do you think I'm at your seminar? I could live anywhere. I said, I don't know. He said, because it's not going to protect me what's happening. I want to watch the United States deteriorate from a nice safe distance. That's what he said. <laughs> anyway, uh, another guy came down, very brilliant guy who traveled the world. He wrote a book called Fast Spanish, F-A-S-T, Spanish. He, he went around all through Latin America for almost two years, checked every country out to, to find the best ways to learn Spanish for a gringo that knows no Spanish. He wrote this book. He only lets me give it out for free to my people if, when I feel like it. If you guys want to send me an email, I'll give everybody that book for free. It's like 100 pages, man. Beautiful. What, what's your email address? Okay, just it's the expat files. That's all one word, you know, just the expat files. So it's T H E E X P A T, just like it sounds. Expat files at gmail.com. All right. And also, I'd like uh, to give something else out. I wrote a hundred page uh, um, treatise uh, called it's my, it's called Latin American Healthcare. I, you know, I'm a biomedical engineer. So that's part of my game a little bit. And it tells everything you wanted to know about insurance down here, about hospitals, doctors, dentists, nurses, everything, everything, surgeries, you know. And I'm going to give away a chunk of that book, not the whole thing. But if you have your audience go to theexpatfiles.com slash healthcare, they can go there and get a big chunk of that book for nothing. Very, very good. Could could you give us a little, uh, maybe a little summary uh, about healthcare? Because that's, of course, one of the things that I enjoy most about being in Costa Rica is that, I mean, the things that you need to have taken care of, you can take you can take care of that when it comes to your health at a reasonable cost because it's priced 
for the everyday person, uh, in my opinion. Now, I sh sure, I'm not contributing to uh, Social Security in Costa, in Costa Rica, so I don't have my, um, you know, I don't get to go to the hospitals for free like the people who are. I, I do own a business in, in Costa Rica, and so I, I pay into the system that way, but that's not one of the benefits that I receive. But, you know, if I want to get my teeth cleaned, it's 40 or $50, uh, and the the dentist is really good. He's been cleaning my teeth for years. I know where he gets his materials from. Uh, I know where he was educated, and uh, he yeah, he's really solid. Um, you know, even, even went to school in the States, or if I want to go to the local doctor because of X, Y, and Z, you know, I get an infection or, or who knows what, I can walk in and, and get something taken care of, and, uh, you know, my doctor charges $60, to see me and that's a very reasonable price because in the United States we all know how messed up the healthcare system is and uh, you know I'm paying still paying close to $500 a month for my own health care insurance in the states but that's really only for a catastrophe if something terrible happens so what do you tell people uh, about health care in Latin America and why that's an advantage to be there well, I'll tell you, um, first of all, you have, to, I'm going to send you a full copy of that book. Um, you just tell me your email address and you will see uh, my breakdown of everything. I, mean, I have dentists and physicians in my family, so I'm well aware of all that stuff. Now, um, what I, I mean, it's a very broad subject, but I can tell you this. I can tell you that there are two types of healthcare in Latin America. There's that public health system in most cases, it's very basic, it's very minimal, and in some cases, it's terrible, but it's what the Latin people have for free from their government. It's their national health care system and all that. And us as gringos, um, we look at that system and they say, man, it's uh, medieval. It's almost medieval. Now, in Costa Rica, it's a little better. In Ecuador, it's a little better. Where the gringos are, it's always a little better. But they've got private health care clinics everywhere, private, private. Those are the ones you want to go to. And Interestingly enough, if you look at the diplomas on the walls, you'll often see that uh, these people went to U.S. universities to get their specialties done. You know, sure. how's that? How's that happen? Well, I, I explain all that in my book. Wow, well, all that. I mean, it's a, a long story, but I know that story. And uh, so, okay, so the amazing thing about Latin America is this: there's 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 one reason why one reason I should say five reasons why uh, healthcare is so inexpensive and yet first world style. Well, they got all the right equipment. They've got all, you know, the, uh, uh, the people are well-trained. The nurses have gone to, you know, high-level nursing classes and all that. Number one, they don't have malpractice insurance. Nobody carries malpractice insurance. And that, my sister's a, you know, high-end dentist, a Hollywood style, and she's paying like $40,000 a year in, 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 in health, in uh, um, insurance costs, you know, malpractice. Mm. A dentist, a dentist. So, and she has to add that to her bill, right? Next, next, that uh, they don't have uh, uh, this, um, what you might call uh, really expensive help. For example, uh, a nurse, all right, a nurse in the United States. Oh, no, let's talk about a dental hygienist. That's even better. Cause I'm like, and in the, my sister pays her dental hygienist the full time. She's got two of them, but she's got paying them around $65,000 a year, right? $65,000. And she pays her dental assistants around maybe 30000 a year. You know what a dental assistant gets in Latin America? A dental assistant gets $400 a month. It's $5,000 a year versus thirty thousand dollars in the states so add that into the equation now they have this they have help but they pay them a fifth to an eighth of what you know they're getting paid up in the states right then you talk about um the buildings they're in these nice you know uh medical office buildings they're just like the ones in the states you see them all over the place right i mean they're nicely done and everything their rents are no more than a dollar a square feet that's a high-end rent in latin america so if you have a if you're a dentist or a dermatologist and you got 500 square feet of office or this you know that's a lot would be a thousand square feet that would be huge right for an office let's just say you had 500 square feet that'd be a regular dental office at a dollar a square foot that's at a high end building that's 500 dollars a month that's your rent you know what my sister pays in rent dentist in Madison Wisconsin you know what she pays in rent three thousand dollars a month yeah okay. There you have it. Those three things alone will tell you why. Because people will say to me all the time, oh, Johnny, then they must be terrible kind of low-end 
60s-style medieval dentists and doctors if they only charge a fifth of what they charge in the States. Then I go through that analysis of why they can do that, you know, sure. why they can do that. Sure, and, and my dentist— And— Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, the, the, finally, the final thing is— They've got no school loans. There's no there's no school loans system in Latin America. So they all had to work their way through school or have parents pay for it. Okay. So none of them come out with this two hundred thousand dollar debt balloon or, or this debt weight on their shoulders that they got to pay back. You know, that's uh, part of that equation too. It doesn't exist. No, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's all relative. Uh... You know, my, my dentist probably makes about $50,000 a year as opposed to $250,000 a year like a lot of dentists make in the States. And my dentist is the one who cleans my teeth. You know, there's no hygienist. There's no middleman. I get to walk in. If I have a, a toothache, I can walk in, sit down in the chair. He's going to look in my mouth, tell me what's going on for free, you know, and he'll just say, Hey, this is what's going on. Do you want, you know, you got a cavity, buddy. Do you, do you want to do this or do you not want to do this? Uh, and, and I mean, God, I, that, that was so shocking to me the first time that I could walk into a dentist's office and ask a question and I wasn't being charged for it. That just, that just blew my mind. And, uh, yeah, I mean the receptionist, right. She's probably making $3 an hour and, uh, that goes a long way in, in Latin America, and she probably is the one cleaning up. You know, it's it's probably his mom. It's a little senora. I don't know uh, who she is, but she's she's plenty nice. But uh, yeah, it's just it's all relative. And I did want to point out um, to everybody that if they go for medical tourism anywhere in the world. There is no malpractice uh, insurance, like you said, and so you're on your own. So you got to weigh your options, but um, you know, it, it, and if it's a more complicated treatment, yeah, that's that's going to go into your thought process. But a lot of uh, doctors in the states won't do any forward thinking pr thinking procedures because. They don't want to get sued for malpractice if something goes wrong. They just want to do the safe, you know, the safe route. But if your life's on the line, well, that's something that you have to consider. Uh, I know that's a, a little tangent there, uh, but John, I, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you something that you hear in today's Donald Trump America about plan having a plan B. I'm not saying Donald Trump is pushing this. I'm saying that everybody else who's scared uh, of being in the States that thinks something really could go wrong uh, and they do want to have a plan B, what do you educate those people on? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I have this, this course. It's called the Expat Essentials Course. And it's, it's a nine-hour audio video, video course on how to make your own plan B if you don't know where to start. People think, you know, they're sitting in their, on their sofa. Let's pick Cleveland again. They're sitting there, and they're hearing all this bad news. They're watching TV, and they're, everything's bad news. Have you heard any good news lately? <laughs> you know, tell me about it if you've heard any, right? <laughs> and so everything, there's all these tipping points. If you've been, you pay attention to any of the the, the armchair philosophers and the real ones like Jordan Peterson, you know, and you know, they're, they're telling you any one of these tipping points can go, you know, and uh, cause the domino effect and uh oh, then what? You got to be ready. So what do we have? We have preppers up in the States. You got that's and I don't think that's a good solution because, you know, so what? Your basement's full with ready to eat meals and you've got you're sitting on a stack of ammo and you got some AKs or whatever. I mean, <laughs> What kind of life is that going to be for you, right? I mean, if it really crashes, I mean, something bad's going to happen. And I don't know if it's going to happen uh, tomorrow or in 10 years, but hey, it doesn't look good, right? So you, you really have to have a plan B, an exit plan. And people come to my seminar, for example, I would say about maybe 25% of them actually end up moving to Latin America within a year. And the rest of them have just made a plan B that's an escape hatch for them. So if things really do go bad, all of a sudden a hurricane plows through again and just, you know, takes out the East Coast and they've got like Puerto Rico, right? And you don't have power for a year. They say, I haven't given up. My house is destroyed. The reinsurance companies aren't even paying. They have instantly a network to get the hell out. That's their plan B. Get out of Dodge when things go bad. Just kind of like having an insurance policy, you know. Why wouldn't you want an insurance policy? You think? I mean, look at the at the history of any country, right? The history of any country. They they start, they rise, and they fall. Right? 
I mean, that's just the history of countries. They they rise and they fall. Do you want to be there when it falls? Sure, sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I also encourage everybody to have the skills that they can use anywhere in the world, uh, which which are really important. Think about what you're doing for a living right now and see if that is transferable in a, in a worst-case scenario. Uh, or if your big savings account, uh, all of a sudden our, our money is devalued or something. Uh, yeah, a lot of, lot of things to, to think about, uh, and I want to, you know, just leave on a, as positive note as, as possible because it's an amazing time in history to be able to uh, go out and create the life that you want. And I really think that is, uh, there's a lot of doom and gloom out there, but that's the honest truth is that you can go to Latin America or, or anywhere in the world and uh, the opportunities to be connected uh, through the internet are abundant. And it's it's really amazing opportunity and uh, one that I've really enjoyed over the last six years. Uh, so John, I, I really appreciate you, you being on the show today. Uh, I know you listed off your email address, and I really appreciate that uh, you were open to sending out people those those couple of gifts that y you said. Uh, one, the, the Spanish book, and uh, the second one was, uh, I think, one on, or maybe a course on Latin American healthcare. business. Oh, healthcare. That's right. Um, so where yeah, I, I have a uh, with you. Okay, just go to theexpatfiles at gmail dot com and. Uh, if you want to get the healthcare thing, I mean, you really should get that one, at least the chunk that I'm sending you for free, and that would be um, a different website. That's the expatfiles.com slash healthcare. And uh, my my course, my expat essentials course is the expatfiles.com slash academy. Great. So um, and where can people it was good talking to you, and we can do this. Yeah, I just wanted to just to go let, to yeah tell tell everybody where they can listen in because I mean you have tons of videos on YouTube, tons of recorded episodes, tons of free stuff that they can check out as well. Oh yeah, I've got over eight hundred and twenty uh, half hour podcasts now. I'm the longest running expat podcaster in the world, basically. That's what they tell me. So you know, continuously, and uh, you can just go to the newexpat.com find all my shows there and uh, at least some of the shows you can also go to um, prn.fm that's my flagship station out of new york and you can i think download every episode 800 and something episodes for nothing so that's pretty cool beautiful john well uh, and remember yeah, really appreciate it and remember sorry if, if you send me an email at the, the expat files at gmail.com and ask for that fast spanish book you'll get so you'll get yourself a real gift because man it's it's a tremendous thing. You'll love it. Excellent. I mean, everybody. I mean, everybody wants to the shortcut, right? Of learning Spanish. And believe me, it's not the way people think. You don't buy CDs or download an internet course. Uh, it's it's not like that. I mean, I tried everything myself. I'm a language dunce, but I learned my Spanish. Beautiful, buenísimo. Buenísimo, yeah. <laughs> Very good, John. Well, uh, yeah. Thanks again. I really appreciate it, and uh, it was a pleasure today. It was nice. So, yeah, do it again sometime.